Welcome to the Marion Message presented by the Mosaic of Marion podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marion Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. I started this last week talking about this, this thought and topic of thankful for the pain. Most of the time we don't see pain as something that's an attractant to God. But we talked about the life of Joseph, the beginning, and all that Joseph went through to get him to the place where he is in a prison and he's interpreted dreams a couple years before, and they finally remember that he did this. And I'm going to catch you up real quick. And he, he goes and he talks to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has these dreams, and, and he interprets them. And, and here's what he said, Pharaoh, I didn't do anything. It's God who gave me the insight to your dreams. Well, from that point on, he goes from literally the prison to second in command, basically prime minister of all of Egypt, which means all of the world, and he's in charge. Great. The famine comes that he predicted, and here comes his brothers needing food. Now, most of us, after what all his brothers had done, and because his brothers had put him on this journey of, of hurt, I mean, they literally said, let's make a profit, and we'll sell him into slavery. And so they stand there, and I wonder how each of us would have handled our family in that moment. There's really no fight like a family fight, is it? So he stands there, and the first time he deals with them, he never lets them know that who he is. I mean, he's 13 years older now. He's, he was a teenage boy the last time they saw him, I think 17. And, and so now he's 30, and now he's, he has a lot of Egyptian appearances about him and all this. And he's all dolled up in the regalia of being the prime minister of Egypt. But now we see him when he admits to his brothers who he is. I want you to understand there's never a more better, and I don't think that's good grammar, but we're going to use it. There's no better, I'll say it that way, picture of Jesus in all of Scripture outside of Jesus himself than Joseph. Here's what I want you to get. I'm going to tell you what I want you to get. Here's a major thought that I want you to get out of today's sermon. And don't miss it. When you walk through the valley, God's trying to show you himself. Don't miss that. God's trying to show you himself, and God's trying to draw you to him to see that you need him in your life. Some of us, our lives are pretty good. Let's just be honest, there's no, there's no valley in your life. There really hasn't been any major valley in your life. So you've sort of been cruising along at, at a cruising altitude going, I'm pretty good in this thing called life. At some point, you're going to need Jesus in your life. And what he always does in these times of pain is to draw you close, whether, as we're going to see a lot today, for salvation 
And you can use this also just for life in general. God's doing something. Would you stand at the reading of God's Word? Genesis chapter 45, and then we're going to dive into this, what, what God is doing and the, the sort of layout of what happens when He lets you walk through pain. Remember, sometimes we get in the midst of a storm because of our sin. Many times we get in the midst of a storm because Jesus led us in. Oh, that's a great statement there. He'll flat lead you right to a storm that you had nothing to do with just so he could show you who he is. Genesis 45, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians that were outside the room, they heard it. And the house of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I think about real quick. I, I've sort of got an outline of David. I don't exactly know how, if I'm going to stay with it a lot. Because I've just, I mean, I've had a lot on my mind about this passage today. I mean, I've got so many notes in my Bible. Just telling you guys, just hang with me. Do you remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus and, and God showed up and blinded him? And what his first statement was, who are you, Lord? Remember what he said? I am Jesus. Paul thought he had been in storms, but Paul had never been in a storm like that when he was blinded, only for Jesus to show himself strong to him. These old boys, they thought they were living high. Yeah, they had done this to their brother, but now that they're facing him, they're struggling. You know how I know that? And he says, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed as his presence. Now I'm going to tell you, but I, can I give you this? They were shaken to their core of what this old boy could do to them. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. By the way, we have this statement all the time. I know God calls us to forgive and forget. Joseph didn't forget. It's obvious he's forgiven them, but Joseph didn't forget. He reminds them several times, don't forget, guys, you sold me into slavery. There was always a purpose in it, though. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He was telling us the deeper meaning here. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus.
Lord, we, we talk about this time of thanksgiving, and, and Lord, we so should be thankful, but so often there is pain associated with it. But in the midst of the pain, I pray that our eyes would understand that God uses the pain to draw us. Lord, we love you today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Man, what a story. But I hope I can show you today how we sort of are the picture of the brothers, you and I. Joseph is the picture of Jesus and what he'll do in our times of pain. So I want to see four words today. Number, number one, we see the word compassion in this story. When you're thankful for the pain, the first step in being thankful, and you're going to see uh, some of you will catch on to it pretty quick, there's this thought that has to, compassion has to occur, but it's Jesus to you and I. Do you understand that there's nothing about us that should draw Jesus to us? I've said it before, and I want to be really calm today, I think, and at least try. There's nothing about you worthy of Jesus. There's nothing about you that you add anything to the Lord. There's nothing so beautiful about you or so special about you or so wonderful about you that Jesus had to have you, that God had to have you in heaven. The only thing you ever added to anything was the necessity of the cross of Christ because of your sins. Joseph had no reason to have compassion on his brothers except he loved them. How many of you could say that to your family that's hurt you, that you still love them? And when the moment comes that you're the one on the side that could put them to hurt, you would show grace and compassion instead of hurt and pain back. Do you understand that in your walk with Jesus, God had to make himself known to you. Let that sink in. God had to make himself known to you. There, there was no way. You, you, would, you would never have sought him on your own. You would never have found him on your own. You have never, would have never just stumbled into him on your own. You would have never done anything of that, all because you were in darkness. Let me prove it to you. Flipping your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning, I, I've, I've talked about this several times, so you probably have some notes in your Bible where I've given you these four truths about you and about me. But here it is in Ephesians chapter 2. What a great chapter of the Bible. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. So tell me this. How can a dead person seek after anybody? They can't. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. The, the weight of sin and, and the only thing you had going for you was that you were going to end up in a place called hell. So listen, we're, the word dead means literally you're a corpse in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in us now and the sons of disobedience. That literally translates unbelief, and it means obstinate and rebellious. So, okay, let's say the first doesn't apply to you. Let's say you don't think that. Well, how about this? You're just flat in disobedience. We're walking through this with creed. 
I mean, Lauren, I mean, she knows this. I mean, that dude is strong-willed. He is so much of his mother. <laughs> with the energy of his uncle. I mean, I know there's parts of, of Antonio, his, his daddy, but I don't know him, but I know this. I see the obstinance of his mother. And when you pair that with the wide open, rambunctious, slinging stuff, throwing stuff, looking at you when he's done that, there is some disobedience in that boy. The right hand of fellowship of his grandpa going to get it out. So that, that's the great picture. I mean, I literally think about Creed when I read this. I was thinking about him, and he's just, he has to learn this. See, here's the truth. I never had to tell Lauren or Drew, and you never had to tell your kids how to lie or throw a temper tantrum, did you? No, you had to teach them to tell the truth and how to be okay and not throw the temper tantrums. You want to know why? Because you have a sin nature about you. carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature, here it is, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's us. That, that is a great picture of what Joseph's brothers were in the face of Joseph. They were all these things, and yet Joseph has compassion. Here's why. Go to John now. Go to John chapter 6. Jesus has fed the 5,000, and he's, he's just said that he is the, the bread of life, one of the I am statements. And, and the Jews are, are grumbling because of what he said. And then Jesus makes this statement in John 6, 44. No one, no one, that means not a single one, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm, I'm Calvinistic up here, but there is this point at, then in our deadness, spiritually deadness, that the Spirit of God, the God the Father, begins to woo us, to draw us, and so often he uses pain and suffering. to get you to know that there's someone out there that truly cares, that there's someone that has your back, as it were, that there's someone that no matter your sin, they still love you and thought you, you were worth, thought that you were worth it. Why, why pain, though? I listened, I wrote this down, I said, it's hard how to understand how pain comes from a place of compassion. So you're, some of you are sitting, wait a minute, you're telling me that God, when he lets me go through a valley and I'm getting hurt and I'm getting pillaged in a sense and I'm getting run over and I'm getting all this, it's a compassionate God? That's exactly what I'm saying. Your next thought should be, Why? came across this in my Bible study for this last week and beginning of this week. Go to Genesis chapter 3. God gave us a picture of this at the very moment that we sinned the first time. Genesis 3. 
We know the story. I'm not going to go through the story. Matter of fact, I'm just going to go to one little part of it. Eve has been deceived, and Adam has just flat sinned, and, and God is, is beginning to call down the curses on everything that, that it, was, it was because of that. And then he gets here to Adam in verse 17. I'm going to read this, but I'm going to really focus you on one part of it. And to Adam he said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground. ESV says, because of you. Okay. But some translations, and if you go to the original Hebrew, you can read it this way, for your sake. What do you mean the ground is cursed for my sake? By the way, work is not the curse. We were told to work and to guard it and tend the garden before we ever fail in the garden. So work is not the curse. But the ground is cursed, and it says, In pain shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth, eat of the plants of the field, but by the sweat of your face you shall eat your bread and all this. But it's that one little phrase, for your sake. What do you mean it's going to be cursed for my sake? What do you mean it's going to be briars and thorns and thistles? What do you mean I'm now going to have to work out? Why is that for my sake? Stay with me. Laziness will never draw you to someone. God says, I'm going to make it so in the midst of you working, you have to begin to look for me. And if you're lazy, you'll know. You know anybody lazy that, what do we say all the time? They're good for nothing because they're lazy. God says, I'm going to make life. And by the way, and in this, he says, I'm not going to make it so you can be lazy. I'm not going to make it so that your life now is just going to be wonderful and fancy free. I'm going to make it so that you have pain in your life. And in your pain in your life, you'll begin to look for someone that can help you. And that someone will be me. And I'm going to draw you to me through pain. You ever been at the end of your rope? It goes around all the time on, on Instagram or wherever. God will sometimes will let you get to the end of the rope to let you understand that he's the one at the end of the rope. Isn't it amazing? We go through stuff so often we'll We'll, we'll run to this person or that person or we'll go to this or we'll go to that and we'll never go to Jesus. When Jesus is the one that's standing there going, I'm the one that can help. I'm the one that can have compassion on you. I'm the one that wants to, to, to be here. So what was the compassion for this? These guys needed food. Food drew them to Joseph. Now, they didn't know they were on that path, did they? Do you think they, do you think they would have gone? This is why I remember when I told you last week, if you knew the ultimate outcome, would you actually make the journey? Do you think these brothers would have went to Egypt if they knew the dude that was going to be the one in charge of distributing the food was the brother that they threw in the pit? I'm good. I'll just starve to death. Because it'll be better than what my brother will put me through. So often your pain and your hurt 
will be the very thing that draws you to the Savior of your life for that moment. It'll bring you into the presence of the Father. Let me give you one more verse for this one. Romans chapter 5. And verse 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we had nothing good, when we were nothing but sinners, Christ died for us. So that's the first point. Second word is, is so when we get this contrition and I mean when we get this compassion from God and we get all of that that should lead us because it leads us it's right there to lead us to his presence you're with me and then when you get in his presence and you see what all he's done for you that should bring this thing called contrition it's a fancy word for repentance or conviction because you should understand just how unworthy you are. So there now in his presence, look what he says. I am Joseph. I wonder how they felt at that moment to hear those words uttered. Is my father still alive, but his brothers could not answer for they were dismayed. That word dismayed, there means they were stunned and they were afraid. They were stunned they felt shunned, and they were afraid. How many of us are truly afraid of what God can do? So many of us that we run from the hurt that God may lead us into, we run from what he's actually after when he gives us that pain. We'll say things like this, that's a mean God. Seriously? The God that I just read to you, Romans 5, 8, that loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us while we were still yet sinners, he's the mean God? No, he's the God that's the God of love that will use anything and everything to get you to see him as he truly is. But he's a mean God, okay? Let's look uh, at Luke chapter 8. Go to Luke chapter 18. Now look at verse 13. So often we'll see ourselves so much better than we really are. This is a story, you guys know, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Man, the Pharisee, uh, do you understand how many Pharisees there are in the church? Just being honest. Think they know it all. You know, they're the ones that point out all the flaws in everything because they want to keep the letter of the law. They want to make sure you do this. They're Pharisees. Not really big on grace and think they're better than everybody else. 
Church is absolutely full of them. So, and, and you hear this all the time too. You say, you know, the church is full of hypocrites. You know what really what most folks are saying when they're saying that? Church is full of a bunch of Pharisees who think they're better than you. And if you don't do things the way they think, they don't like you. I'm just going to read this real quick to you. So listen to this Pharisee. In verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself, hello, standing by himself. See, that the Pharisees believe in us for and no more attitude. Let's not, let's not fill this place because I might lose my seat. Let's not fill this place because nobody can live up to the standard that I've sat down. Let me just say this. Your standard doesn't mean anything. It's the standard of Almighty God we live by. Y'all all right? And by the way, God's standard is a lot more strict and a lot more hard to do than your little stinking little standard. All you want to do is make sure the carpet's the right color and the paint on the wall is the right color. God's worried about your heart. Here it is. To the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you I am not like other men. Oh, my lanta, are you for real? extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this. Listen, he called this guy out, even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I do everything. Don't you know who? Here it is. You know somebody's a Pharisee. If you're ever in church and they say this, you know who I am? But the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. Let me tell you what else you can tell, Pharisee. You get somebody that prays a long prayer, and I mean, it's got all the words on it, man, and they just, oh, blah, it flows, and it's this, and it's so biblical, and they, not, there's wrong, not, nothing wrong with praying the Bible, don't get me wrong, but when it isn't, when they're using their King James 1611 version, and they pray for 10 minutes, and it is, it is this, and every little thing you got, you know what it tells me? You wouldn't know God if you met him in a 40-acre field, you Pharisee. But you give me some old boy or girl that just can't hardly get through a prayer without crying. Doesn't have to be long, but it can be heartfelt. Hit your wagon to that person. Because they've got some repentance in their heart and they understand where they are in front of Almighty God. Then look over at Luke chapter 19. Here's why Jesus came. For the Son of Man came to save, to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why Jesus came. And he says, I'll use anything, including pain, to do it. But you got to be afraid. If you want to be afraid of the right one in Matthew chapter 10, see, we're afraid of people. We're afraid of people. We're afraid of this. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. Uh, 28, excuse me, not 38, 28, says this, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The compassion of Jesus, man, in the midst of your pain is something to draw you, but you understand who you're standing, that he has every right to throw you in a place called hell, yet he loves you. That should be. Somebody that loves you in spite of your flaws? Isn't that the person you want to hitch your wagon to and be married to? Hello? 
Now you may say, why do you make this about marriage? Because we are called the bride of Christ. But then there comes salvation. This is grace. You know, that's the greatest thing that changes a person. I think Bruce has said the, the quote many times. I think I wrote it in my Bible. Let me see if I wrote it here. Probably not in this one. Oh, I got it. There it is. Got Bruce Crowderfield's name right up under it. Change comes through grace. I'm going to repeat that for the ones in the back so y'all can hear it. Change comes through grace. Now, don't quote me, quote Bruce. You, you can't force nobody to change how they are. But you can love them through it. You can get mad, you can cuss, you can throw things, you can pitch your fit, you can drink your liquor, you can do this, you can do that, and I promise you it will not change them one other because here's what they'll say, I knew that's who they were all the time. Show some grace, man. Listen, so here's Joseph. Picture this. He's now revealed himself. The Bible says they were afraid. They're going, oh, my lanta, we about to get it. Great life. Daddy now is losing all of us. Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Basically, here's what he said. God had a plan this entire time. So although I have every right to destroy you, I have every right to throw you in prison now. I have every right to sell you into slavery now. I have every right to string you up outside by the gallows now. I just want you to come here and come near to me. Aren't you glad that day God said that to you? See, here's what I know about Hank Meadows. I wasn't worthy of the grace of Almighty God. Man, we love to get grace, don't we? But we sure do hate to give it. Let's be honest. Come on. We love to get grace. We mess up and somebody shows us grace. Oh, it's the great, greatest thing ever. But how many of us refuse to ever show it? Preacher, you don't know I've heard this. I've been the pastor here 22 and a half years, and I've heard this. Preacher, you don't know what they've done to me. No, no, I don't. But I know this. I know that Jesus says if you won't forgive, you won't get forgiveness. I know this, when you got grace, you sure was really good about receiving that grace. See, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 3, says, For by grace you have been saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. I, I, I don't care who you think you are. Without the grace of Jesus Christ, 
you would spend an eternity in hell. Period. Hello? You would fly. It's, here's what I'm telling you today. So if you're sitting here today and you're sitting here and you've never come to a place where you've acknowledged your sin, you think you're all right. Let me make this statement. God don't cut deals. God says either you come by my grace and my grace will change you. We forget that part. Grace has got to bring a change of heart. See, how, I don't know how many people that think they're going to heaven because they walked some aisle, they took some preacher by the hand, the next week they got dunked, but there never was an acceptance of the grace of Jesus, nor was there ever a change in their heart. Because if you looked at them now, they still do the same stinking, dirty, rotten things they did when they were an unbeliever, quote, unquote. I get sick and tired of people telling me things like this. I can go to heaven if I drink a beer. With that attitude, are you really saved? Preacher, I can do what I want to. No, you can't. You were bought at a price. Let me just tell you some things. Your, your language of vocabulary you know, I lost about a quarter of my vocabulary when I really got right with Jesus. Huh? I lost about a quarter of it. Some of you guys played baseball with me, and y'all know that to be the truth. I didn't need some preacher to tell me that I shouldn't cuss. The Holy Spirit living inside of me said, by the way, if I'm a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm just going to say this too. I believe y'all come to church. Folk telling me they sick. Folk telling me they don't feel good. Folk telling me they might have this. Folk telling me. And then I see them out during the week, and they show our smiling a lot, just sort of frolicking around. But it's amazing how Sunday mornings, you don't feel good. I just don't get it. I love Jesus, but I don't see the need in going to church. I do. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Do not forsake the gathering together with fellow believers, even the more so as you see the day approach. Preacher, I just don't feel like it. I noticed this. I noticed you felt like going to work tomorrow. And here's what we'll say. Here's what we'll say. Yeah, but preacher, man, you don't understand. That's my job. Brother Steve, eternity is a lot more important than some stinking paycheck. This your eternity. Now, see, some folk may walk up in here like you got COVID or you had a flu. I don't expect you to come. Stay your butt at home. But because you're tired, when's the last time you extended grace to somebody? Have you ever accepted grace from Jesus? But let me give you the last thing that pain is really to be doing to you in your life. And then a declaration. 
This is the part we fail at. You're going to hear so much about this in the coming weeks. Notice what he said. Hurry and go up to my father and say, we are called to confess to what we commit to. We are called to go. We are called to invite. When's the last time you did that? I'm just going to tell you this story one more time. I totally forgot his name. All of a sudden, I'm drawing a blank. But here, here's the story anyway. Greatest example of this I've ever, ever seen was in Haiti. Tony was my partner. We were sharing, and, and this guy, what was his name, Tony? Shout it out loud. For James. Oh, I, could, I just want to say Charles. James sort of connected himself to me and Tony. James was annoying. James, I could have spit out a barbed wire fence, Jay, if I could have chewed some nails. I mean, and Miss Tony's over there, bless her heart, man, and she is sharing the three circles, and James keeps interrupting, and he keeps on trying to stop her, and I'm going, in the name of Jesus, stop! So she's sharing with this one sweet little family man, and James is right there. So I finally eased up while Miss Tony sharing and came up to James and said, come with me. Luckily, we had two interpreters, and, and I saw, I threw the interpreter, I said, tell him, I said, to be quiet. And he said it, and James was like, I'm We go to about three more houses, and James is, I've shared now, and, and James is talking, when, and Miss Tony, I know she's over there. She's trying to get him quiet, and he's interrupting. And finally, we get, I said, oh, my goodness, James. And he goes, well, first he says, James, he says, can I share next? I'm like, no, you can't share next. You don't even know what you're talking about. Never forget this. He said, tell me. So I don't know if it was Tony or me, did the three circles with old James. Old James bowed his head and prayed to receive Jesus. Now that's awesome, isn't it? It gets better. James says, now that I've got it, can I share it? And I said, not yet. Tony goes on and she shares again. I mean, we're in his village and we get to the last house of the day. And I said, James, have at it. James shares it, I mean, perfectly. I can't remember whether that family accepted Jesus or not, but I know James is hammering it. That was Tuesday. Wednesday, we didn't go anywhere. We did something. We, Thursday, we go back to the same village. And me, we pull up, and I remember Tony looking at me going, there's James. James is there going. He's looking at me and Tony, y'all come on, y'all come on, y'all come on, y'all come on. I'm like, dude, hold on, we'll be there. What's going on? He says, I have, listen to this, five of my friends I want you to share the gospel with. Five. So we get to that place. Remember, Miss Tony, they were sitting on a tree trunk that had failed. Five of them, he lines them up, man. Boom, 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 boom. Tony begins to share. 
And I'm sitting back and I'm just watching. They were starting, they were a little chirpy, and my man James would just, he would stump them. Quit being mean, quit being rude. I'm like, dude, that was you just two days ago, bro. So Miss Tony, man, she's on it, man. She is, you're this and you're free, you're coming around, you're King Jesus. And we get through and they all look at James and they laugh at him. This is the moment the average American would have just got under a rock and never shared again. They laughed at him. Here's what they said. Yeah, right. You the guy just last Friday night we had to drag home because you were so drunk. <laughs> Greatest statement I've ever heard sharing the gospel. Here's what James said. I never told him these words. I never said anything to him like this. Here's what he says. You're right. That's who I was. That's not me now. Are you serious? And so one of them said, one of them gets up, walks away. He said, whatever. you just doing that because the Americanos, these Blancos are here. Walked off. This was the Bible come to life, y'all. Paul preaches sometimes, he says, some believe, some made fun of him, and some said, we're here. Literally then about two of them said, whatever, we're just going to, we don't believe it right now, but two of them. Because this old boy was brave enough to invite him because some Americanos were coming. Now, if that was the end of the story, it would be a great story, man. This dude brought five of his friends. Two of them came to know Jesus. What an amazing story. A couple months go past, and I talked to Rick Vi, and I said, hey, man, how's old James doing? He said, Hank, you not believe this. Old James, that boy comes to Bible study every week. He not gone back to the alcohol in the bar. That old boy is all about some Jesus. So I wait about a year and a half later. I'm like, Rick, you guys ever hear anything out of old James, man? Oh, Hank. James is now pastor of that church. Amen. They say he is the greatest soul winner in that whole area of Haiti. Said that old boy isn't afraid to share with anybody. That's the whole plan, y'all. Let me tell you what that guy, when he was trying to fill with all that alcohol, was a hurt and an emptiness. And when he found the one that could fill it, he didn't need it anymore. And when you get a dose like James got, you want to share it with anybody and everybody. Are you willing? Can I give you a third word real quick? It's not that I want to, but let me, if you read on about it, if you read like verse uh, 11 or 12 there, it says he laid his arms around the neck of his brother Benjamin. I, this, this is a free one right here, okay? There ought to be communion between the believers. If you got a problem with somebody else in this body, you ought to go to them and get it straight. We, 
We're in a war, y'all. We, we got to have each other's back and love each other. But here's my challenge to you. Are you willing to be just like James and declare your faith to somebody else and begin to bring them to church? All I'm going to ask you next year is to find one person. James found five in a day. Is there one person that you know that you flat know they're going to hell that you don't want to go to hell? Are you willing to be that person that would do exactly what the Great Commission says, to go and tell? Preacher, I, 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 I can't do that. I'm too, let me tell you all about James. James couldn't hardly put a sentence together. Are you willing to let the pain be something you're thankful for because it led you right to Jesus? And now you want somebody else to do that. Thanks for listening to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcba.com.